Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum Podcast with Caroline Stanley, University of Tulsa goalkeeping soccer coach and a former pro soccer player, is brought to you by Compassion International. $38 a month allows you to release a child from poverty. It is the holiday season, and it's that time to think about others. It's that time to think about where can I help? Where can my money go that can make a difference and that can truly help someone? Compassion International does it right. For $38 a month, your money helps a child in need by providing them with food, education, medical care, vocational training, all done in the name of Jesus. $38 a month, Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. That's the website to go to, Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum, and sponsor a child today. Today on the podcast, we go to the world of soccer, and our guest is Caroline Stanley. She was a soccer player at USC in college and then played professional soccer with the National Women's Soccer League and the Seattle Reign and the Sky Blue FC and her last team, the Orlando Pride. In January of 2018, Caroline announced her retirement from pro soccer at the age of 24. In part one of our two-part podcast today, we talked to Caroline about growing up as a pastor's kid, why she decided to retire at the age of 24, and being in college at USC and kind of finding her faith, finding herself as she goes out on her own and dealing with trauma, dealing with some situations in her family that were very difficult and how her faith was kind of the center of it all. And I really wanted to know about Caroline making that faith her own because at some point as we grow up in Christian homes, many of us, we have to make that faith our own. It cannot be our parents' faith anymore. So I really enjoyed talking to Caroline in part one of the podcast about exactly that. So take a listen. Let's get to know Caroline Stanley here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Take a listen. Caroline, welcome. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting for me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to diving into your journey and diving into your story. And let's start with retirement, I guess, which was interesting Mm -hmm. to me because you retired from pro soccer at 24. And I I wish that I could retire from, I guess, a lot (laughs) of things at 24. And that was when I was just getting started. And just we'll talk about your journey in a bit. But how has this year been for you not playing soccer for the first time? And I would imagine a very long time for you. Yeah, this has been my first time in 20 years not playing, which is so funny because you, like you said, I retired at 24, but I started this life of soccer at a young age, at four years old. And it started obviously very, I mean, humble beginnings with a little church league in the backyard, but it really evolved into what became my life. And so this last year has looked so different. Um, It's so funny because I've always planned my life in seasons in metaphorical seasons and literal seasons. And so this year has been different for that um, aspect of of my life because I'm not revolving my life around this thing that I've done every single day for 20 years. So it was extremely challenging in the beginning. I mean, it was really difficult to watch the opening games of the NWSL and to see my friends still playing. But um, it was just there for a couple months, dying to myself every single day and trusting that Christ was really going to provide for me and and provide that confidence in another way and that worth and that value. And ultimately, 
I, I couldn't argue with God because I, he made it so evident it was time to retire in so many different ways to me. And, um, and I have fun now. I hop in with the girls and, um, it's become a source of just joy and not so much a, a source of, of stress because that's what it becomes when you play professionally for money is it's your job and it can be extremely stressful. So honestly, this year has been the best year I've had a blast and, um, but it's definitely been different. What's the biggest thing you, you learned about yourself this year that maybe you didn't know based upon the fact that soccer had been such a big part of your life and, and still is really, I mean, you're still around mm -hmm. the game. You're just not playing yeah. it, but what's the biggest thing you've learned in this last year? Man, this, the biggest thing that I've learned is that the way people see me, um, isn't just for my physical talents. Um, I think that I felt like a part of me was going to die and a part of me was going to, um, not provide value in people's lives anymore. And they were going to just kind of not want to be around me or be my friend or whatever that is. Cause I couldn't offer them that peace anymore. And I learned that that couldn't be, I mean, more false that I have so many other spiritual gifts and talents and my personality itself is why people want me in their life. And it sounds silly to, to even say out loud, but you, when you do something and that becomes part of your identity, you worry what other people are going to think about you. And so I've just learned that I am not soccer. Soccer was just a piece of my life. And the people who love me, they have reiterated that and affirmed me over and over again that they love me for so many other reasons. And it was great affirmation to receive for sure. 10 years ago as a high school athlete, which is really crazy to think just 10 years ago, that you were in high school and you were the one of the top goalkeepers in the state. But I wonder, because mm -hmm. you grew up with social media, you know, 10, 10 mm -hmm. years ago was when I got on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. So I'm just thinking at 15, you're 25 now at 15. I wonder what type of struggles you had either spiritually, emotionally, physically, maybe all of the above uh, on the difficult things you had to work through just as a teenager. And I asked this really as a personal question, because I have a 14 year old <laughs> daughter and I, I yeah. love talking to, to women who were not too far removed from that age and that stage of life. Mm -hmm. Well, I was a pastor's kid. So age 15 was difficult because one, everybody knew that. And I wasn't extremely interested in boys, but they were not interested in me because my ex football playing pastor dad looked, <laughs> I mean, he looked like he could crush you. And then on the flip side of it, you know, I have that label as a PK. So that was, that was difficult in school, just kind of getting labeled as Bible thumper prude. And, and you look back now and I'm like, I'm so proud. That's what I was quote labeled as. Yeah. But at the time you feel like you're getting pushed into a box that, you know, people are bullying you. And I was bullied mercilessly in high school because one, my faith was the forefront of my life. And two, so was soccer. And that wasn't a popular thing to be so invested in in a sport where I grew up it was really about being really girly and being a dancer and a cheerleader and I didn't fall into that category whatsoever and I, I wasn't so concerned about dressing up for school and so faith-wise I really struggled with you know God you've given me this ability but it is not popular and so I just need you to to kind of show me that I'm going down this pathway Cause I was, I mean, I was an absolute soccer nut. I did 5am with the men's team. 
I lifted two hours during school. I would go to any practice that I could. I had a, I had a full-time goalkeeper coach and I was just so dedicated to soccer. And what I'm thankful for about it at age 15 was soccer was my excuse to say no to a lot of things, Hmm. but that was not popular. And so it was difficult because on the flip side, you get all that peer pressure from kids and, and I wasn't, I wasn't popular. And I think that's hard at 15. Um, and my mom would always say that, you know, what's right is not always popular and what's popular is not always right. And I had to battle that every day. And, but ultimately I felt God's presence so prevalent that my convictions were different. Um, and, and I was really lucky to be surrounded by a small group of friends that affirmed that. But on the social media side, Facebook was becoming extremely popular. Yeah. MySpace was becoming extremely popular. I joined Twitter in 2009, which I believe was my sophomore year of high school. And I actually had a blog in high school, which nobody was blogging. So I don't <laughs> know who was reading it. But it was difficult because you see things like kids going to the lake and then they post everything on MySpace and Facebook. And I wasn't getting invited to those things. And I was out of town for soccer or doing two days and three days and whatever I could get my myself into. And so I think that was the most difficult challenge was feeling called to something bigger and being surrounded by people who are thinking small and knowing that, you know, the path was set before you. And if you strayed off of it, you were straying away from God's plan for your life. And um, the social media, though, now I can't imagine being in high school with yeah. how it is now. Yeah. I know I would have struggled. Tell me about, I mean, you're around college kids. You're, you were, mm-hmm. you're, you are a, a soccer coach for Tulsa. So what is that? And that level is a little bit older, 18 to 22, but it's mm-hmm. still a struggle. I mean, that's the first thing they're going to is their phone still, right? Even at that age and that identity factor. Absolutely. Um, The biggest thing is I think that experiences get lost. They're not having pure, just in the moment experiences because they're doing things for social media, not for, you know, the story. And I think that our girls this year, we've really reiterated identity and worth and I've not seen our girls for the majority struggle with it as much, but I also coach, excuse me, I also coach high school kids and I would say it's even more prevalent on the high school level. Uh, But, you know, our girls here have taken it as something lighthearted because we've actually, I've put a lot of rules in place with how they can and and cannot use it. And I um, said, they all have to let me follow them and I'm going to monitor things. And, you know, that's not an NCAA rule, but that's something that I've taken upon myself because they did that when we were in college and it kept a lot of girls out of trouble. And it's given me the opportunity to have conversations about, you know, the way they dress and how that, what that says about them. And even if they don't realize it, that's not what they're trying to um, advertise. That's what is going to, you know, in turn be attracted back to them. So I see our girls struggling with it, but honestly, they've done a really great job this year um, where it's not that big of a factor for them. Do you, I wonder, being a teenager, put yourself back 10 years ago now, 
you grew up as a pastor's kid, and I want to talk about what that's like in a second, but mm -hmm. just about uh, soccer, thankfully, in many ways, probably was the distraction, so you just didn't have time, maybe, but mm -hmm. was it still something that you wanted to do as far as doing what the other kids were doing, even if they're Christians or non-Christians? Because I, I always say, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not partaking in things you shouldn't, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. and that's definitely the truth. But I think, did you find yourself wanting to be a part of these things or were you completely content? Cause that's hard at 15, 16 mm -hmm. years old to not fall into any sort of peer pressure. Oh no, I definitely got myself into some trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> I definitely did nothing extreme because my mom was strict. I yeah. mean, she knew she was with it. She worked at my school. So she would, she would even hear a whisper about if I was talking to somebody and would come directly to me and ask, um, but there was definitely some some peer pressure and some giving into that. Like like you said, soccer was a distraction because I was so insanely busy. But of course, I, I wanted to do those things because I wanted to be liked and by the people that were around me. And even though I I had my sights set on college soccer, I still felt like maybe oh this is just what high schoolers do. This is you know, what you're supposed to do in high school, the experience. And if I don't do this, then I'm going to be, you know, labeled as weird. Yeah. And, and so I think that it was definitely difficult. And, um, I didn't have that insane rebellious stage that a lot of PKs get the stereotype of, but I definitely, you know, pushed curfew, hung out with some people I shouldn't have went, to, went to some parties and didn't partake, but I'm still there. Yeah. And if that gets busted, I'm still in trouble. And, and, and yeah, like I said, we, uh, my parents were, my mom was really on it and I'm the oldest of three. So I really felt that kind of guilt of setting a good example and also had that kind of not, not correct, but preconceived notion from a young age that being a PK and being in the spotlight, I needed to be perfect. And unfortunately that pressure to be perfect that I put on myself resulted in a lot of lying. So I lied a lot to my parents about who I was hanging out with, what I was doing. And like I said, I didn't give in to a lot of it, but I was still around it. Yeah. And that still affects your mindset and it affects your, your priorities in your life. So it was still definitely difficult. We're talking to Caroline Stanley here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. So help me with what it means to be a PK. And I don't mean I don't mean mm -hmm. like from a general perspective, because we have a lot of pastors and a lot of um, a lot of people who are involved in the church that listen to mm -hmm. this podcast for sure. Yeah. But I just mean from a perspective of being the daughter of a PK. And there's pressure there, like you said, about wanting to live up to a certain way of living, but there's also the faith aspect. And I wonder mm -hmm. for you. Um, making Jesus Lord and kind of growing up as a PK, you have your parents' faith and then you have your own faith. So walk us through that sort of lifestyle as a kid of be having your parents' faith and then take us to the moment when you were able to turn that faith into your own. Yeah. Yeah, that's because there is such a big difference. Um, Huge difference, right? Yeah, well, it, we went through a hard time with our church. It was a really big church. I'm, I'm actually, Oklahoma is my birth state. We moved to Missouri when I was five years old for my dad to be the four or five years old for my dad to be the senior pastor at a church in Missouri. And, um, it was a big thriving church. 
and it grew and grew. And we saw some seasons where, you know, Christmas we had had to do four or five services. And mm-hmm. then we went through a really tough period where, you know, we're barely filling up the two and there's not very many kids in the youth group and people are, are upset over theology and upset because, you know, it's, they want, they want religion and rules. They don't want relationship. And we, so we saw a really difficult time within our church where we shrunk and, and, and I don't know, my dad never really talked about it, but I know that we were probably struggling to pay, you know, the church rent and struggling to, you know, pay people who are working for the church. And I think that resulted in some layoffs. And for me, it felt like the church, if it was thriving, I was thriving and my faith was thriving because my dad was. And if we were going through a hard time, then I felt like I was, you know, going through a difficult time. And, and I think that I was really, really lucky at a super young age to have this strange relationship with Christ where I can remember with all my heart and soul hearing the audible voice of God at seven years old in my bedroom. I remember it like it was yesterday and, and talking to my dad about wanting to receive Christ. And he, I remember he gave me this little pamphlet. I mean, I wish I could find it, but (laughs) tiny little pamphlet. And it kind of explained, you know, the, the story of Jesus and what it means. And I remember my dad worded it to me as, would you like Jesus to come live in your heart? Because if you do, he will never leave. He'll always stay there in your heart. And I remember thinking of my heart as like this little home and Jesus is just going to live in this little home in my heart in this little spot. And he's never going to leave. Like he's kind of trapped in there. And I remember thinking, well, that'll be a friend that I can always talk to. And because I was a talker, Lord, my mom always says, you never <laughs> shut up, kid. That's funny. And, and I was like, I can always talk to him and, and he's going to be there. And my dad said, you know, and, and if I'm not around, he'll protect you. And if mom's not around, he'll watch over you. And I was like, I want that. And so I remember getting baptized by my dad in front of the congregation at seven years old and, and really feeling the weight of that. And um, so I was, re- I had a really special bond with Christ at a young age. And I remember laying in bed and looking up at the ceiling and, and out loud talking to God, which I can only imagine what my parents heard standing outside my bedroom door. But I remember asking him silly eight-year-old questions like, I don't understand why the dinosaurs had to disappear. That'd be so cool. Can you explain it to me, God? And, you know, and asking him questions like, am I going to have another brother or sister? And, and, oh, just, he was a friend. And I think that what's so sad to me with the church is so many people don't see God as a friend. They see him as this, this fearful man looking down on their life, making bad things happen for, for anything that they've wronged him with. And um, I think that my parents instilled that at a really young age. And we didn't really talk so much about our faith. Honestly, we had a strange family dynamic where my dad was sold out for our church. But what that meant was he wasn't sold out for our family. And I remember at age 13, kind of that was the end of my relationship with my dad in terms of we weren't going and fishing all the time anymore. I wasn't traveling with him to speaking events because soccer was really gearing up. And um, there was a time period from like 13 to 18 where 
I felt like my dad was my dad, but I didn't really have this relationship with him anymore. And my relationship with my mother was so strained because she had to be the enforcer. Mm. And any teenager ever, any mom with a teenage daughter knows there is a time period where you probably want to wring that kid's neck. <laughs> and I wanted my mom to, I mean, I was like, if she gets on a train and disappears, I don't care. And, <laughs> and we have that struggle. And, but there were moments where I appreciated her so much because I would recognize that. But I mean, you literally cannot control those hormones. And it took me to, until my senior year to realize like, wow, my mom does so much and my dad does so much for other people and he's got to go sit on someone's deathbed and then speak at their funeral the next day and he's got to deal with people telling him he's not a good pastor and that's just basically saying like hey your faith yeah it's false you're not Mm. a good christian Hmm. and when that's your job but it's also your life and so our family struggled in my senior year I knew something was up and my parents actually ended up getting divorced. Mm. And so my dad is in ministry, but he's not a pastor anymore. And my mom lives in Oklahoma with, and she had my brother and my sister. And so my faith shifted then when I realized that for the first time in my life at 18, we're not this perfect church family that I thought we were. I mean, we had the big house, we had the golden retriever, we had we, we looked perfect. The Christmas card was gorgeous, but the inside was cold and it was broken. And it took me transferring from the University of Missouri my freshman year out to USC to be truly on my own, completely uncomfortable, alone with Christ to really delve into that relationship of you've always been my friend and you've always been the voice in my heart steering me back on on track with you but now you, I need you to be my father and I need you to be my comforter and I need you to give me some wisdom and some discernment and that was when my relationship changed completely and I was going to a church in LA called Reality LA and I believe the pastor's name was Tim Chaddock and and it was the first time I saw a pastor with rolled up short sleeves and tats. And I was like, what in the world? (laughs) And everything shifted. And that was the first time I felt free from the chains of this is the perfect mold I need you to fit into to this is the person I've created you to be, go be her. And so I would say at age 18, that 11 year relationship with Christ that I had had shifted to a completely different level through that divorce. And so many people when trials come. I'm a, I'm a product of a family who had divorce as well. My dad and mom divorced when I was six. Then they divorced again, you know, or remarried a second time uh, or married second time, then a third time. And so I've been through a lot in that sense. And I think I wasn't a Christian. I didn't grow up in a household that had faith, but I wonder for you growing up with that, a lot of people can walk away or turn mm. or run from God during yeah. conflict and in such a you know, a personal, um, difficult time. And yet Mm -hmm. you ran towards him and maybe it took a little longer, but you ran towards him. Can you walk us through just sort of some of the, those conflicting emotions, uh, that you're going through as a, as a kid still, you're still a high school kid. And by the way, you're doing pretty well in soccer enough to go to a Missouri and to eventually go to a USC. 
yeah, it was, it was so tough. It was the first time I felt lonely because I had such a strong group of friends back home. And I, one of my best friends still to this day, I remember texting her and we were just talking about this, reminiscing. Um, we became friends at age 13 and her parents were divorced. And I remember texting her senior year and saying, I think my parents are going to get divorced. And typing that out, I thought, God, you're such a dramatic teenager. Right. They're not. <laughs> yeah. And she said, why do you think that? And told her and she said, well, all you can do is pray and wait. And she didn't get upset about it. She didn't tell me, you know, oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. She, that's all she said. And I was out in California alone. And I remember I'm going to go to church. And like you said, it was, I mean, it's what they say in, in first Timothy, I believe it is train up a child. And I was trained up to know instinctively and subconsciously that you just, you go back to the cross Yeah. and it was so difficult to realize that's not what people's first go-to is. And I remember going to church and this at Reality LA, that freshman year of mine, um, they did worship in such a unique way that I had never been a part of. I'd gone to one church my whole life and yeah. they turned all the lights off. And when they worshiped, you can't see the people who are leading worship, only their silhouette to bring full glory to God. And for you to be able to be comfortable that no one's staring at you to go full deep dive into worship. And they had um, pillows on the ground so you could go kneel. And I remember I had gone there a couple of times and, you know, worshiped and started getting comfortable with raising my hands. Cause when I grew up, we stood on the front row, my mom, my brother, my sister and I, and we clapped and we just kind of swayed and, you know, played the perfect part. But yeah. when I was out there, I remember just for the first time, I mean, the first time ever crying in church, I was worshiping. And I remember just, I couldn't even help it, but to out loud cry and to just out loud say like, why is this happening? God, why is my family falling apart? And why, why, do I, why can't I be there to help my little brother and sister when they need me? And I can't be in the thick of it. And I'm out here and I don't have any information. I don't know what's going on. And I'm lonely and I'm struggling. And why did you bring me to LA? Like, it's terrible. I hate it out here. Yeah. Like, why did you make it so evident? This is where I'm supposed to go. Like, I feel like I don't have a dad right now. I feel like I can't do anything. Like, I need you to help me. And I remember just sobbing. And and before I knew it, someone had their arm around me and was praying and whispering into my ear. And even now, it I, I start sh shaking a little bit because I never knew who that person was. Wow. And, and I remember being like, man, this is, this is grace. And this is what it's about. Like I, I can tell my father in heaven that I'm upset. And all of a sudden I just felt this weird, like wind, like full rush of just head to toe washing over my whole body, just comfort. And I walked out of church and I felt this like euphoric feeling of it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. And you are also going to be so much stronger than you ever have been because of this. And, you know, I was going to church with two of my teammates at the time and they prayed for another Christian teammate. They told me, and 
So that was me. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm a Christian, but you have no idea what's going on right now in my life. Like, I don't feel like I can help you all. And um, it's so funny because you interviewed Ashley Brewer and the yeah. next semester or two semesters later, Ashley transferred in and lived with my teammate. And we started going to, you know, I was going to athletes in action. I was on leadership and she was coming as well. And she said we had about six people and that's true. And I prayed, you know, endlessly for that. And by the time I was a senior, we had consistently like 50 to 60 people at athletes in action and, um, saw people's lives changing and, um, reality LA was incredible for me. And I'll never forget one Wednesday night, Ashley inviting me, the two of us to go to the Beverly Hills montage. And I'm like, we're going where? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, and I'm in sweats and I'm like, crap, should I have dressed up? And I'm like, who's this pastor? She's like, I have no idea. I've no, I haven't heard of him. And this girl invited me. And so, you know, I got like the invitation through an email. It was kind of weird. Mm. And I was like, okay. And we pull up and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're valeting the car. And we're walking through these winding ballrooms. And I'm like, all right, Ash, like I, like I want to leave. This is weird. And we walk in and I'm like, okay, all of these people are celebrities. Why are we here? And, you know, this goofy guy with bifocals gets up to talk and he's got a weird comb over. And I'm like, this guy looks 12. Yeah. Who is this? And it was Judah Smith. And what's so crazy about what God does in our lives is, you know, started going to that Bible study. And when I got drafted to go play in Seattle, all I knew about Seattle was coffee and this pastor's church was up there. Yeah, and right. so in this transition of my life, I knew God had provided a church home for me. And, and it's just, it's just been incredible to see even, I mean, that's even just a portion of a small sample of my life, what Christ has done to comfort me through such difficult times and transitions. And, and it's just, I mean, it's been amazing to see how the relationship has grown just as any other relationship on earth would grow. Great stuff there from Caroline Stanley, the University of Tulsa goalkeeping coach, former pro soccer player with the National Women's Soccer League. That was part one of our two-part conversation. Tomorrow in part two, we'll hear more from Caroline about what it's like to be a professional soccer player. It is not the glamorous life. And so we talk to her about turning pro and then retiring ultimately. Uh, she has a great story of her final game, uh, and her final professional game in soccer and what she learned about the importance of serving and loving others in being a great teammate. It's funny how that last year, Caroline shares an amazing story of just coming to know who she is in Christ and why it wasn't about her. So great story. Make sure you stay tuned for part two of the conversation tomorrow on the podcast. Caroline also shares the story of the guy she's dating right now, a guy named John Means who plays with the Baltimore Orioles and made his Major League Baseball debut this past September at Fenway Park, of all places. And uh, so we got to find out a little bit more about John and Caroline and hear that story as well. So stay tuned for part two of our conversation with Caroline Stanley tomorrow on the podcast. We thank you for listening. We thank Caroline for being a part of the show. We also thank Compassion International for sponsoring this podcast. For $38 a month, you can provide food, education, medical care, and vocational training through the most trusted child development ministry in the world, that is Compassion 
International. Make your money count by sponsoring a child and releasing them from poverty. $38 a month, food, education, medical care, vocational training, all done in the name of Jesus. Sponsor a child today. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. That's the website, Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today. Thanks for listening to this episode, part one of our conversation with Caroline Stanley. Stay tuned for part two coming tomorrow. We thank you for listening. You can always reach us via Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, sports underscore spectrum. You can also email me, jason at sportspectrum.com. And we always love to have you provide feedback. Let us know what you think of the guests that we've had here on the podcast, including Caroline. And any ideas you have, any guest ideas that you think are people that we should be interviewing on the podcast, please send them along over to me, jason at sportspectrum.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Have a great rest of your day. This is the Sports Spectrum Podcast.